The story you are about to hear is based on eyewitness testimony and evidence collected before, during, and after an actual paranormal investigation. In some instances, the names and locations have been changed to protect the identities of persons involved. You live as long as the old oak tree and laugh at fools like you and me. I often sigh and wish that I were the old man of the mountain. We've all experienced a dream that seems too real, a room that seems too dark, a presence when we know we're alone. We exist in a world of many realities where the impossible is probable and the unknown can be known. This is the realm of the weird. Jane and Jeff Dobson contacted me in the summer of 2002. Their initial contact was a phone message explaining that they thought they were experiencing a haunting in their newly constructed home in Rochester, Michigan. They wanted to know how to research the property their house was built on because they were sure something terrible had happened there. I called them back and gave them some tips on how to track down information on their property, going to the county clerk, the city building commission, and filing FOIA requests with the state and local police. While we spoke, Jane kept saying that all of these hauntings were happening in and around the garage. She had fairly well convinced herself that there must have been a murder in the backyard, or even more than that, a body buried somewhere out there. I asked her about the hauntings, and to my surprise, for the first time in our conversation, she hesitated. In both our first contact and this conversation, she had been extremely forthcoming, and in simplest terms, chatty. Now, though, she hesitated. After a few awkward seconds, she finally began speaking again. It's not pictures flying off the walls or anything like that. I might be freaked out by that. It's just that this is like... Jeff and I, it's like... We're haunted. She paused again. Here, let me show you. I sat on the other end of the phone wondering what she meant. I heard her walking through the house, opening a door, and then I could tell she was outside. I'm walking out to the garage, she said. I heard another door open, and I could hear that she had entered another structure. Okay, I'm in the garage, she said. I sat, listening to nothing for a few moments. Finally, Jane's voice broke the silence. See, she said aggressively. All of a sudden, I'm so mad at you. Her voice was descending into a growl. Oh, I hate it. I've got to get out of here. Her voice was distraught and angry. I heard her opening the door and moving back outside. A few minutes later, she was back in the house, speaking normally to me. It happens all the time. Jeff or I, even our friends, we go in the garage and it's like something takes over. She sounded like she was going to cry. I think someone is buried out there, she said. I told her I'd be out to the house later in the week. After I hung up, I immediately drove out to Rochester and started researching their property. I spent four days discovering that there was nothing to discover. The land is simply that. Land. No former structures, no old cemeteries, no police reports or murders ever reported. Just plain old farmland. When I met Jane and Jeff, they seemed well-adjusted, upwardly income-mobile, and somewhat garish in their decorating tastes. 
They explained the hows and whys they bought this land and the details behind building a home. Honestly, within an hour, I was bored beyond belief. Finally, the time arose to go to the garage. It's strange how little they mentioned it before. Jane just came right out and said, Okay, let's go see it. Before we exit the house, we stood in the kitchen, both Jane and Jeff, obviously nervous. They explained that they had pretty much stopped going in there altogether. I told them to stay in the house, and they both relaxed at my suggestion. I left and walked toward the garage. Once inside, I stood in the middle of the floor and felt nothing. It was the middle of the day. I was in an empty garage, and no place could have seemed less haunted. I can see Jane and Jeff through the window watching me from the house. I lean out the side door and loudly ask them if I can smoke. They nod and I light a cigarette. Five minutes pass, ten minutes, fifteen. Nothing seems to be happening. Leaning against the wall, I light another cigarette. I realize how stupid they are, these people. Ghosts in their garage, what a couple of dummies. Who would be that dumb to think that there are ghosts in their garage? I almost hate them for it. Wait a minute. The thoughts startled me. I bolted upright. I moved back to the middle of the garage. Where did those thoughts come from? I pressed my hand on the wall and waited. Nothing. I leaned against the wall. Nothing. I walked back to the house, and inside, I once again began to question the couple. The feelings of annoyance, rage, confusion, hatred, this is what they had been experiencing. It happened not in the garage, but after a long discussion, it became apparent that it happened when touching the garage. It also didn't happen all the time, but it happened a lot. It also happened mostly during the day, although Jane and Jeff remembered a few times that they experienced these overwhelming emotions after sunset. I told them that I would be back many times. I spent a week touching every part of that garage, mapping out what areas seemed to affect my emotional state. Jeff and Jane confirmed my specific locations, and it seemed to be that only certain pieces of lumber were the sort that could influence people. I spent a few weeks theorizing what could be happening, an evil carpenter, haunted lumber, maybe during construction someone used cursed coffin nails. I had dealt with cases of items like toys and pictures that seemed to be haunted, so why not a few dozen 2x4s and 2x10s? I was caught in a rut, so I made one final attempt to unravel the riddle. I contacted Jeff and Jane, and they supplied me with the phone number of the contractor who built the garage. I called and posed as someone looking to build a shed. When the main carpenter arrived at my apartment a few days later, I'm pretty sure he thought I was not quite sane. I spent most of the time prying him for information on his life, the other carpenters, the company's history. I was looking for anything that might have tainted the wood in the Dobson's garage. Eventually, I had to own up to him and tell him what I was actually doing. I kept my clients' names out of it, but I explained that I was looking for certain curious things. I was never too specific with him. Obviously, the gentleman didn't reveal that he or anyone in his company was a murderer or a witch or evil, so I was back to square one. He was chuckling as he drove away. I tried to do some research into the company, but turned up no leads. Within a couple of months, Jeff and Jane demolished the garage. 
whatever had been affecting them was hauled away during the demolition, and on my request, they had a different company come out and build the new structure. Everything was fine. Around October of that year, I got a phone call from the company that had originally built the Dobson's garage. I guess my meeting months earlier had spread around the company and finally made its way to an architect named Marianne. She talked to me about my meeting with their main builder, and now, since it was nearing Halloween, she wondered if I would be lecturing anywhere where she could see me. We chatted for about 10 or 15 minutes, and she finally said, You know, our reclamation guys have some pretty spooky stories. What do you mean, I asked, my ears perking up. You know, spooky ghost stuff. A couple of years ago, we had the contract to reclaim wood from the Clinton Valley Insane Asylum in Pontiac. Our guys saw a bunch of weird crap in there. I sat silent for a moment and finally asked, What did you do with the wood? We built stuff with it, she said, laughing. Can you tell me which particular places you used that wood in, I asked her. Probably, she said. It wasn't a lot, maybe just a few sheds and garages. I didn't need the paperwork to know that the Dobson's garage had been one of those places built with the boards from the old Pontiac Asylum. Marianne kept talking, but I was only half listening at that point. I couldn't help but think about the other places that might have been built with haunted wood. Then she said something that shocked me back to reality. What did you say? I asked her. She sighed and repeated herself. I said, we didn't make a lot of structures with that wood. We used it mostly for custom furniture. Do you have that list? I asked. Probably, but it was all custom and we shipped it out all over the world. I'll try and get you a list. Marianne never came to a lecture. She never sent me a list. And the last time I checked a few years ago, the company was no longer in business. Can emotion be imprinted on objects? Can centuries of anger and confusion soak into our surroundings? Have you ever gone somewhere and it's annoying for no good reason? You're mad just being there. Maybe it's not you. Check the chairs, the table, and the walls. It's just quite possible that they were built in the realm of the weird. weird.